Well, today we begin reading and studying through the Gospel of Mark, the second of the three synoptic Gospels, as theologians put it. Synoptic, S-Y-N-O-P-T-I-C, means to see them together. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic Gospels because they um, mirror each other so much. They, they tell the same stories and uh, they, they, they look so much alike. Um, many believe that actually Mark was the first of the four Gospels to be written for various reasons, but uh, here we are, Matthew chapter 1. So um, hopefully you've read it, and so let's take a quick look at some things to notice in the first chapter. And you, one of the things you notice from the very first verse is that the focus is on the Gospel, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's Mark 1.1. 1, 1. And... Uh, from the very beginning, Mark is letting the reader know this is his purpose in writing, to set forth the gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. And the very first words out of Jesus' mouth in Mark are about the gospel in verses 14 through 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And uh, so even here in the first chapter, we get a glimpse of some of the most important aspects of what, are, what the message of the gospel is about. So first, Mark emphasizes that the message of the gospel is something that was foretold and prophesied for centuries in the Old Testament. After stating his intention to write about the gospel of Jesus Christ in verse 1, he quotes the Old Testament in verse 2. Um, and uh, as it is written in, the, in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger. Uh, he actually, it's funny, uh, it says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Now, if you look this up, it'll actually, he's actually quoting from uh, three different places. He quotes from Exodus 23, 20, Malachi 3, 1, and Isaiah 40, verse 3. Uh, so you go, well, if he quoted from Exodus, Malachi, and Isaiah, why did he say in verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Well, probably because uh, it might have been cumbersome to state all three of those, and he might have said Isaiah just because Isaiah was the, the third, the final in the list of things quoted uh, there. Um, but he quotes that, those Old Testament passages, and that what he's doing is saying that the good news that a Savior was to come was not a new, new idea on the scene. That a Savior would come had been foretold and expected from the very beginning, as far back as Genesis 3.15, when the Lord cursed the serpent, saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. From the beginning, one was expected to come who would bruise or crush Satan. And that expectation continued and grew throughout the Old Testament. And Mark is telling us, that all of those promises and, and hopes have now been fulfilled. The gospel has come in full. The good news has now been born, and his name is Jesus. And the second thing is we don't have an indication yet in Mark's gospel that Jesus would have to die for our salvation, but we do have in this first chapter a clear indication that Jesus lived a perfect life of obedience for us and for our salvation. Notice in verse 12 that Jesus didn't simply decide on a whim to go out into the wilderness, but rather, 
it says the Holy Spirit immediately drove him, literally threw him out into the wilderness. Why did the Spirit drive him into the wilderness? It says in verse 13, to be tempted by Satan for, thir- uh, for 40 days. Well, why would the Spirit, the Holy Spirit do this? Why would the Holy Spirit drive Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days by Satan? Because it was important, as we've noted many times before in, in Matthew's gospel, that Jesus go to the cross as a sinless sacrifice so that he could bear the punishment for our sins and not his own, but also more, most fundamentally that when we repent and believe, his, his perfect righteousness can be given to us and credited to our account before God. So even in this first chapter of Mark, we see Jesus doing the work of accomplishing our salvation by his perfect life of obedience. Also, in this focus on the gospel, from the very beginning, Mark emphasizes that not just anyone could bring about the gospel of salvation. In verse 1, Mark doesn't simply say the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There isn't a period there. There's a comma. Because Mark wants to emphasize something very important about this Jesus. Who is he? He is Jesus Christ, comma, the Son of God. Mark emphasizes that God himself is who has come for our salvation. There, this is nothing more than what Isaiah prophesied, quoted in verse 3, when, it, when he said, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. It was none other, other than the Lord himself who has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And the last thing I'd want to say about this focus on the gospel before we point out a couple of other things, that is, is that as we have seen that this gospel message um, that Mark is writing about is something long foretold in the Old Testament and is something that required uh, someone to live a perfect life of obedience and that this person is none other than God in human flesh, Jesus, Mark also emphasizes in this first chapter what is required to take advantage of of and benefit from this good news of salvation. What did John the Baptist come saying? Verse 4, he came proclaiming a a baptism of repentance. And all the people came, in verse 5, confessing their sins. And not only this, but as we read earlier, Jesus himself spoke his first words in this gospel, proclaiming, it says in verses 14 again, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of heaven is, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. So from the outset, we know that the salvation that Jesus came to accomplish for us is to be received not by trying to be a good person, but by repentance of our sins and confession of our sin and faith in his saving work and provision. Jesus will soon thereafter call on his disciples to follow me and become fishers of men, verse 17, showing us that salvation is not simply about believing but also about following. So let's move on from this, uh, just the focus on the gospel, but to a couple of other things that we see and notice in this chapter. And one is the authority of Jesus. Um, As Jesus came preaching the gospel of salvation and calling people to repentance and faith, uh, Mark emphasizes the fact that Jesus confirmed the uh, authority of his message through his miracles and wonders. So Jesus, verses 30 and 31 and 40 and 41, Jesus went about healing the sick and casting out demons from those who are oppressed, verses 23 to 26. And what was the outcome of these miracles? Mark tells us 
in verses 27 and 28. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A, a new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. In other words, Jesus' words and his message have authority, which is proven and substantiated by his powerful works. His works confirm his words. This is why in John's gospel, when we come to it, in John 10, 37 and 28, uh, 37, excuse me, John 10, 37 and 38, Jesus will say, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works. He has authority which his works confirm, and therefore his words have authority which we are to believe and obey. And finally, on a somewhat humorous note, uh, what's the hurry, Mark? Um, this, this last point is just an interesting observation about reading the Gospel of Mark. I don't know if you noticed or if you counted, but by my count, we came across the word immediately nine times in just this first chapter. Jesus immediately saw the heavens open after his baptism in verse 10. The Spirit immediately drove Jesus into the wilderness in verse 12. Simon and Andrew, and later James and John, all immediately followed Jesus when he called, verses 18, to 20, 18 and 20. They all immediately entered the synagogue in Capernaum on the Sabbath, verse 21. Once they were there, immediately <laughs> a man with an unclean spirit came up to them in verse 23. Then in verse 29, Jesus and his new disciples immediately left the synagogue and went to Peter and Andrew's house. Peter's mom was sick, and Jesus immediately made her well. Later, when a leper came up to Jesus, Jesus immediately made him well also. <laughs> um, the same Greek word, euthus, um, that is us usually translated immediately, also appears in verse 28 when we're told that at once his fame spread everywhere. Immediately. Anyway, you get the point. You'll notice that this is one of Mark's favorite words. I'm not sure why he everything is so immediate <laughs> for Mark. I don't know if he was just hyper all the time or if he just gets excited when he's talking about Jesus. But you can be sure at the very least that Mark's gospel gets right to the point and gets to it quickly. But that's Mark chapter 1.